Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. And in this episode, we talk to doctors Laura Swathes and Andrew Finney from the Impact Accelerator Unit School of Medicine, Keele University in the UK. And the paper is Experience of Implementing and Delivering Group Consultations in UK General Practice. And it was a qualitative study. So group consultations are a relatively new approach in UK general practice. And I started by asking Andrew to tell us a little bit more about group consultations, what they are and how they work. Yeah, so group consultations tend to be something that has been focused in primary care in the UK. The origins seem to be very much from the US and some of the immediate evidence for uh, patient outcomes for them comes from the US as well. In the UK, what we've done is we've used them for general practice consultations where long-term condition reviews have been covered. So I think where where you might see a, a patient thinking, well, I've got a 30-minute diabetes review, what's happened over the last couple of years where people have been quite innovative with this is that they've taken maybe 10 to 15 patients for up to 90 minutes and been able to do a long, this long-term condition review if we use diabetes as the example with the use of a facilitator the use of perhaps a practice nurse and then being able to bring in something like a general practitioner or a pharmacist to engage with the patients over a shorter period of time but answer any questions that were perhaps beyond the the facilitator or the nurse so in that hour and a half you're what you're getting is more time with the nurse more time with the facilitator unique opportunity to speak to a gp who wouldn't normally deal with a long-term condition review unless there was a serious issue you're getting peer support, you're getting um, probably peer pressure as well because the patients are actually sort of talking to you about your lifestyle choices and the things that you do. And in that hour and a half, what you're getting is the nurse or the facilitator not having to repeat themselves throughout the day. So what you're getting is lots of benefits for patients that we foresee, but also staff suggesting that they're losing the repetition, they're not getting the burnout, they're not getting that sort of boredom of having to say the same thing every 30 minutes to sort of 20 patients throughout the day. What they're doing is they're seeing 15 patients over an hour and a half. So we tend to think that this is something very effective if it can be delivered right and if it can be sustained in general practice. Okay. Um, And I'm aware we want to get on to talk about your research, but let me ask first, just if you could very briefly, what's the evidence like in terms of outcomes with group consultations? The evidence, I suppose I was probably sceptical at first around the evidence because I thought that a lot of people had thrown a lot of this, thrown a lot at this, so thrown a lot of money at it without there being any strong patient evidence in the UK. There was work starting to unfold and there was a a Cochrane Systematic Review by Booth uh, only a few years ago that had started to summarise a lot of evidence from the US. The strongest evidence is for diabetes. There is a lot of evidence for other long-term conditions, but it's aspects of, of, of patient outcomes. It seems to be very effective in diabetes, so much so that they are sort of pushing that approach in the US now. With regards to cost effectiveness, it seems equivocal. So I don't think it's any more expensive, but I think our perspective was, well, you know, it's, it's very much always about patient benefits, but what about the people delivering the care? You know, we know there are pressures on general practice. We know there's repetition and we know there's just too many numbers going through. So sometimes if it is equivocal and it's just as beneficial for the patient, but actually the staff are feeling that actually this is better for us, that this is a change of scenery. And I suppose the evidence suggests that it's not a replacement, it's an alternative. 
So when you start to think about the possible and potential backlog now, post-COVID pandemic, there's going to be so many people that haven't had a face-to-face long-term condition review now for such a long time that maybe this is a new dynamic way of, of putting those into place as, like I say, an alternative rather than a replacement. Okay, so um, we're looking at it as an alternative. So that's where the experience becomes all important and that's where your research comes in. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what you did, Laura. Yeah, yeah. So we were um, lucky enough to receive funding from NHS England and we conducted an interview study. So we spoke with 20 um, general practice staff um, from six regions across England who had either had some experience of setting up or and or delivering a group consultation. And so what, what we wanted to do was really understand their perspectives and experience of what it's like at the coalface, uh, getting this model of care up and running. Um, so we spoke to eight GPs, eight practice nurses, um, a nurse associate, a pharmacist, a deputy practice manager and a healthcare assistant. So we got a wide range of views from the people that we that we spoke to yeah um so we should go on to the findings what did what did what did you find in your research so interestingly about half of our participants told us that they had embedded the approach within the general practice that they worked but around half of them had tried it and some only once and some more than once but they weren't routinely offering group consultations at the time that we spoke to them, which is interesting in itself because it supports what some of the participants said to us in terms of it isn't straightforward. It does require a lot of work. You do need whole practice engagement uh, to sustain and embed it as your, your main offer for a long term condition review. So, you know, participants felt really strongly that long term condition management had changed and that it's not sustainable and they couldn't continue working the way they are currently. And that group consultations did present a good alternative to help manage some of those problems. Um, you know, many participants were, I guess, uncertain about the approach in some respects because you know, staff weren't used to running and managing patients in a group situation and a group dynamic. Um, so I'm a physio by background and, you know, running patient groups and, and managing that dynamic is, is part of our bread and butter and part of our core training. But, um, you know, some of the, the nurses and, the you know, the other members of staff that we spoke to weren't quite used to doing that. And it does require a different skill set and, and confidence, really, uh, to do that. Um, so, but staff, you know, those that had done it spoke about how group consultations were fun. Like Andrew said earlier, they enjoyed being outside of their room behind a closed door. They found that, you know, it was great for MDT working and they learned a lot from patients interacting with each other. And it really gave a break from the relentlessness of, of back-to-back face-to-face consultations. So, um, you know, the, the the guys that we spoke to, they said, you know, they found it really important to have a champion or somebody who could lead the implementation and the delivery of group consultations um, because there was a lot of work on top of, you know, your day-to-day job. Um, but equally important, you know, alongside that is the support and the buy-in from the whole general practice. You know, it, it can't be a one-man band approach. Um, because the effort that goes on behind the scenes to get it up and running can't be underestimated. Um, and sustaining it, as I mentioned previously, c- can be a challenge for some practices. 
Yeah, I was interested that you mentioned about um, the the champions because that seemed that came across quite strongly in the paper about the importance of them. I was curious about the work, and you and also you mentioned there was a lot of work to do a group consultation. Presumably, it's almost like a te- is it like a teaching session in some way? There's there are resources to get across. You know, for thirty minutes, you're not just going to go around presumably individually speaking to all the people within it. You're delivering a set of you know. There's a set. It's not delivering's maybe the wrong phrase, but there's a discussion point around you know whether if it's diabetes, there'll be lifestyle factors or other things. That, you, that as you say, there must be a significant amount of preparation. But presumably, once you've done that once, that perhaps doesn't need to be done again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So there's the, I guess there's the preparation in terms of um, the the bigger picture. So getting other practice staff to buy into the approach so that they're referring people um, to the group in the first place and that the system's set up. So we heard a lot about uh, computer systems and administrative systems and, you know, uh, we can't book um, 10 people in at nine o'clock. So we were having to give patients a nine, a 901, a 902, a 903 appointment and say to them, no, but you do have to come at nine o'clock. So there's kind of the bigger picture uh, implementation challenges and, you know, issues with funding and how practices get paid for what they see in their activity and whether the CCG can support that type of activity. But then, as you said, there's obviously the day-to-day uh, set up and the managing so getting the room set up for 15 people and um you know getting uh, just the, the prep work of, of the notes um andrew do you do you want to talk more about the, the clinical measures and the, the board and those kind of things yeah i mean I, th- I think something we we from the results that we don't often pick out as well is the value of the peer support and the peer pressure there's so much that the patients can say to one another that the health professional can't that's not saying the health professional doesn't want to, but you, you've got to be sort of emotionally sympathetic and emotionally intelligent around any sort of communication in healthcare. But we've got, we've got examples from our interviews where, where the nurse was saying, who was being interviewed, was, would say, the patients would say to each other, well, why would you eat that? That's stupid. That's ridiculous. You can't eat like that. You're a diabetic. You know, well, a nurse is never going to say that. So as much as there was, there was the sort of the benefits of them, so that, that peer pressure from one another, they also had a support network. So they would, they would then go beyond the sort of group consultation to have a coffee together, you know, when we could be face to face and do those sorts of things. But I suppose the other benefits are, and you would think this was a confidentiality issue, that it, but it isn't, but they actually list all of the sort of body mass index, all of the sort of HbA1c results, all alongside the patient's name. So confidentiality has all been agreed by the patient groups before they go there. And actually, it becomes a little bit like a competition with each other. So actually, they want to see improvements. They want to see the arrow going down rather than the arrow going up. So your facilitator will form all of the results on a whiteboard, usually, in the, in the, in the room where you would conduct the group consultation. You would have your nurse probably sort of M, M, putting all, the, all the, the, the markers onto the sort of computer system, but then asking the patients around any. So it's like you say, the education is there around diabetes and around the sort of things that the patient might want to know. But then there's that question to the patients, what haven't we told you? What do you want to know? And that those questions could be answered by the GP or by the nurse or by the pharmacist that was in the practice. So the questions are listed on the whiteboard as well. So there's information given, but also sort of information received from the patients. I mean, one patient had said, 
it was the first time they'd ever asked what HbA1c meant, despite the fact they'd had 10 years worth of one-to-one consultations and been using this as, as the substantial marker of their diabetes. They'd only had the sort of the bravery to ask what it meant when they were in a group of other people. It's a fascinating model. I could, I could, there's so many different areas to explore, but I'm a bit aware of time. So I mean, perhaps, Laura, I could just get you to summarise the key findings from your research. Yeah, yeah. So this study is the first to our knowledge in the UK that's explored staff experiences um, of implementing and delivering group consultations. Many staff enjoyed them and found them to be less repetitive and bring the joy back to their consulting. Some were hesitant, mainly because of the need to facilitate groups. Uh, A lot of work's needed to set up the approach, and so implementation support is needed. And it it can be a challenge to sustain, particularly if the whole practice isn't bought into the approach. Um, But we feel that they have, you know, similar potential via remote or telehealth uh, methods, and that might well help with the backlog of face-to-face long-term condition reviews caused by COVID over the last 12 months. Laura, Andrew, that's been really fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.